BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode, we're talking about empathy, why it matters for our children what you can do to build and grow empathy and how you can practice so that empathy doesn't atrophy. This is a skill that is so critical to life success and it's so important for mental well-being. So it's not just about the soft science of it. This is some hard science. Kids need empathy to be happy, successful people And it's a trait that allows us to feel what other people are feeling. And the requirements of your brain in order to do that are pretty heavy. That lifting is heavy stuff and you have to exercise that muscle. So this is not an add-on trait. This is not something that's a luxury. This is not only a necessity for mental health and success in general, but in particular right now when we're in a climate that is so painful and when kids are physically far away from so many people, it's important to push harder at this stuff. So joining me today is Dr. Michelle Borba, who wrote the best-selling book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Have a listen because there are easy important strategies that you can practice every day. Empathy can be instilled. It's actually a teachable habit. So let's get on that. And if it seems dire right now, it is. We need empathy now more than ever. There's actually been a statistically significant and stark decrease in empathy over the last couple of decades. There's been an increase in bullying There's so many more instances where you can pull yourself out of personal interactions. And there's a lot of reasons behind this. But the most important thing is that empathy is something that can be taught and modeled and practiced, and we can all get better about it over time. So let's cultivate empathy. And we're starting with this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I know how precious your time is. I hope that you get a lot out of this. And if you do, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And of course, please DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Thank you for the honor of your time. 
I am convinced that the single most important trait right now is a human one, and it's called empathy. It's this incredible ability to feel with another human being. And, and I think we need to get off this notion that it's soft and fluffy because I think it's absolutely transformational. And in today's world, that's what our children need as well as the grown-ups. When we look at the science, I think we've missed it. The science is that telling us that not only is this wonderful trait helping us to restore our relationships, which is the seeds of mental health, but it also, mm-hmm. as a result, helps kids bounce back so that that becomes resilience, but it's also, for a parent who goes, how does this have to do with school, helps a child be a deeper learner, to get mm. more into that, what does they really mean? Get into the other side of each issue, which is critical, deeper thinking, and then I think it's the best antidote we've got to bullying, hate, and racism, because it's impossible to bully another human being if you go, how would I feel if that happened to me? That's what we may not be tuning up nearly enough in our children. And that's why empathy is dormant in our kids right now. We need to put it into our parenting plate. Using the example of this week, just the current climate of watching people having trouble pulling that, pulling out that empathy and kids kind of responding with glee and joy and having trouble accessing empathy when times are, when it's really challenging to, like, I I find it difficult right now as well. Tell me a little bit about kind of how that bleeds over into our broader picture about trying to, to grow that empathy muscle. I think what we fail to realize above all else is that the best way to teach empathy is not a workbook. It's not a worksheet. It's not a one-time lecture. It's by modeling and by example. So if we want our children to be able to grow up and be strong, resilient, but also be able to step into the other shoes, the first thing we've got to do is ask ourselves, what are they watching? What are they copying? What are they catching? And I think right now, The adults have all better put the pause button on and beware of what they're saying because it's going to come straight out of our kids. Regardless of how you feel about politics, and we have strong views about politics, what we want is to make sure that our children don't start picking up our example because we have become, unfortunately, even before all of this week, extremely divided. Look Mm -hmm. at what the kids are seeing from the racism to hate to injustice to I don't have to wear a mask because who cares about them? It's all spilling over. And every one of those moments is a wake up call to say you've lost an opportunity to teach kids that person is a human being. We're all in this together. And when we start, here's another thing. When we start talking about us versus them, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, we divide us all even further because Empathy is really about we, not me. And the big thing we're trying to do slowly along the way is help children be able to to be a little bit more comfortable with differences and diversity. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with the person, but you have to at least respect where that person's coming from, which might be a great lesson right now when every time you hear a child say, you know, or he's different, or that's a girl, or that's he's black, or she has blue eyes. Uh Uh-uh. Instead, it's the, well, let's go find out what you have that's the same. What do you have that's in common? There's the lesson that we can keep using because every moment is a lesson for our kids and they deserve a lot more than we're giving them. (laughs) 
Personalized skincare sounds fancy, but with Rory, you can have a brand new skincare routine crafted just for you without ever having to leave the comfort of your couch. Rory is a digital health clinic just for women that can help treat all of your skincare concerns from breakouts to redness. Getting started is simple. You complete a free online consultation at hellorory.com slash humans. And you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. And if it's appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you with free two-day shipping. Rory is there every step of the way. You always have access to your healthcare professional for questions or to make changes to your treatment. There are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Just go to hellorory.com slash humans, H-U-M-A-N-S, to try out your personalized treatments for just $5. That's hellorory.com slash humans for a free consultation and $5 for your first order. hellorory.com slash humans to get your first order for $5. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, the creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. And, you know, on the, along those lines, just to clarify, I think it's still important to say, let's find those similarities. And also, yes, that person has black skin and that person has blue eyes. And these are the things that we yes. see so that there's no confusion that finding that connection that we all have as human beings isn't the same thing as not embracing our differences as well and actually seeing them. So it's not about like, uh, oh, everybody's the same. It's just like, what can we find that connects us, right? Exactly. I love that. It's like Dr. Seuss and the snitches and the snitches and the whole thing of look for the what you have in common, embrace it all. But in the most important thing is don't start separating people by because you're not comfortable with that supposed difference, whatever it could be. We're growing up in a diverse world and our children will be growing up in a very global world. It's why Harvard named empathy as the top employability factor right now, because they got to be able to step into the shoes. Why do most employers now look at mostly concerned about can the new employee step in and understand where the client's coming from? Because that's where you need to do the design. That's where you need to do the thinking. And if you're always separating yourself, it doesn't help in the real world. That's really interesting about, I did not know that about Harvard. Um, what do kids need? We know kids need a lot of things working from birth and that grows over time to develop empathy. So what are the underlying foundational components of building, not a robot, that sounds like you're building a robot, but what are the underlying components mm -hmm. that we need in order to be empathetic? Well, there's some fabulous researchers who have had the same darn question. And what they've been looking at is which parents are more successful at raising the empathetic kid? Also the successful one, because it doesn't mean we're going to stop trying to make them successful in school. Mm -hmm. They found that the gateway, number one, is that what we all know is that love and warmth. Because when that child radiates that love and warmth from us, 
they begin to feel a sense of trust and that sense of confidence. Now they can reach out and be more successful of building relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. They need the parent who stops and listens, who gets into their shoes, because in the end, empathy is all about hearing both sides. And that's the best way at age two to be able to have mom and dad go, what do you think? Or where are you coming from? That's what we're really trying to do. Example, they always have that parent who's the example of kindness or integrity or character, because we discover that's the best way to teach it is to watch it and to be able to model it and feel it yourself. And the other thing that's fascinating is they have the parent who expects it. No, 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 no. That's not how you treat your friend. Now you go back there and you apologize. So you go back there and make your friend feel better. If you have that expectation that my mom and dad want me to be kind, they also obviously want me to be successful and work as hard as I can in that classroom. But I also want you to be able to be a kind person. And that alone is an interesting one. I mean, when our kids come home, almost the first question we ask is what you get, as opposed to what kind thing did you try? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so modeling, of course, Yes, we are. So taking sort of a good look at our own behavior and our own, like, have we let that muscle atrophy, especially mm-hmm. right now, and also having expectations of kindness promotes kindness. And is that authentic kindness? It like, I guess what I want to pull apart is, is it the kind of thing that needs outward motivation to create an internal drive? Or is it about pointing it out because they're trying so many things out. And when we prioritize kindness, it becomes something that we automatically do. Great questions. What we do know is that children who, well, let's put it this way. Children act how they see themselves to be. So one of the things we want to do is get away from the great job, here's a sticker, mm-hmm. instead, make it more internally driven. Now, how mm-hmm. we do that takes a long time, but they have discovered that parents also who take the time to point out, wow, thank you for being so kind, did you notice? And then the impact on the other person. Did you notice how grandma looked so happy that you stopped and asked her how was her day? Or did mm-hmm. you notice your friend, my gosh, when you went in there to help him pick up everything that dropped out of his backpack, did you see the smile on his face? When children, according to Urban Straub's fabulous research, begin to see the impact of their gesture, and then they have a parent who also acknowledges oh, I really appreciate that behavior. And then point it out, that was kind or that was respectful or that was caring. We don't even use character in our language anymore with our kids. Let's tune that one up. Children began to internalize themselves as a kind, caring person. And the best thing is you no longer have to remind them. They've already become it because what they've developed is this glorious thing called a moral identity. Yes, I want to talk about a moral identity. So that's another component of what you need to be empathetic. Tell us what a moral identity is. Well, what I discovered when I was writing on selfie is that I knew empathy was critical according to all this new evidence, but then how the heck do you teach it? So I looked at all the research there was in it and I discovered number one, we'll get back to it, is that you have to keep talking emotions because you can't yes. feel, for heaven's sakes, you can't go, oh, he looks upset, I'm gonna go help him unless a child has an emotional literacy or mm-hmm. emotional vocabulary. But the second thing along the way that I discovered that was glorious is people who are more altruistic, not because I'm getting get a trophy, but just because I know it's the right thing to do, have that moral identity. Empathy needs a moral rudder. 
what we do know is that empathy needs a moral rudder. Just because a child feels like, oh my gosh, I feel for her, or she's crying, that's affective empathy. That's one part of it. Or just because he understands where the other person's coming from, or he's read To Kill a Mockingbird and he gets what Atticus Finch is saying to him about Scout, it's a, to me, it's a so what. What we're trying and aiming for is the child to be able to say, so what am I going to do about it? She's being mm-hmm. treated unfairly. She's being treated unjustly. I need to step in and do something about it. That was bullying. That wasn't right. I'm going to step in and do something about it. Empathy needs that moral rudder. And that's the piece that we need to keep instilling in our kids because that would be the second habit, moral identity. Addiction is an epidemic that is really rampant in our country. Clean Cause is on a mission to support recovery in America. 50% of the profits support individuals in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Clean Cause, quote, gives where you swig and allocates sober living scholarships across the country where you can drink clean. To date, Clean has granted over 1,500 sober living scholarships representing more than $750,000. Clean Cause beverages are organic, sparkling yerba mate, and they contain 160 milligrams of better caffeine. Clean Cause drinks provide a smooth sailing pick-me-up and sustained energy without the crash or jitters of a million cups of coffee that I usually drink. Great for keeping focused and to just boost your energy. It's available in eight super refreshing, low and no calorie, low and no sugar flavors, including blackberry, watermelon, mint, peach, and cherry lime. Clean Cause beverages are USDA organic, plant-based, and contain natural flavors. And it's available nationwide at Whole Foods or on Amazon.com, or you can go to cleancause.com and take 20% off your next purchase at cleancause.com using the code HUMANS. Every purchase will make a difference in support of addiction recovery. So two questions about that. The first is, how do you identify when your child is making, is kind of creating this moral rudder, but they move in a direction that isn't necessarily where you want it to go, but you want to, you want to watch them become whoever they are and also guide them in the direction of that moral rudder or you don't guide a rut. You know what I mean? You, you, you want to guide them, but how do you do it without, you know, so that they're not shamed because they didn't make that right choice. Right. Shame. That is, we do know that shame reduces empathy. Guilt That's where I want to go. Exactly. Guilt, guilt can actually increase it a little more. Yeah. You want the kid to feel like, oh my gosh, what did I do? But don't ever shame because that's going to reduce it. We do know this fabulous bit of research to answer to you came from Martin Hoffman. Incredible. Yes. NYU. 40 years he's been trying to figure out the answer to your question. Which parents raise empathetic children? And he discovered something that regardless if you're disciplining a kid from age two or 20. It's exactly the same format. The first thing is step back a minute, take a moment and say, Mm -hmm. 
what matters most to me? What are the values I want to see sometime in my kid? What a great question that is. And we rarely stop to figure that out. Once we know I want him to be respectful or I want him to be kind, or there's 400 virtues that have been adopted through time. You're not going to have time to teach them all. But right. figure out what matters most to you. Now you'll be able to immediately say when the kid crosses the line, whoa, you can use the Martin Hoffman technique. It's called inductive discipline. That mm-hmm. was, call it out, unkind. Maybe he just hit his friend. Maybe he just grabbed the pail. Maybe he didn't give him a turn. And then you tell him why. Why was that unkind and uncaring? Look what you just did there. Yeah, you did grab the pail. Now look at your friend. How do you think he feels? Or how would you feel if that was your friend? Now you use the most important statement you could possibly imagine. I'm really disappointed in that behavior because it was unkind. And here's what I expect from you. And every parent goes, oh my gosh, you've just demolished his self-esteem. No, you didn't. You gave him this wonderful tool because you never impacted the child instead in your, in your little discipline. Instead, it was that behavior. There's your lesson. What will you do next time instead? What happens if you continue to use that same inductive reframe, your child begins to go, ooh, that wasn't what mom wanted. Ooh, that wasn't what dad wanted. Ooh, how would I feel if that happened to me? And gradually you stretch empathy. My brain is exploding because I have so many, I have so many reactions to that and I want to talk about them, but there's so many other things I want to get through. Cause I think this, there are two things that you mentioned that are so important, but also really need to be, I, I want to clarify them. The first is the difference between shame and guilt and that shame is actually reducing your child's likelihood of being empathetic and that a little bit of guilt is okay. It helps you with your rudder, right? Like that's kind yeah. of how you can hear the voice inside of you telling you what you need to be doing. But I think parents, because we are coming at a time, you know, we know from neuroscience, shame is so destructive. It's so hard to distinguish for a lot of parents between shaming kids and a little bit of guilt or being able to acknowledge you are disappointed without in in a behavior, which you importantly said, this is not saying I'm disappointed in you as a human being. And if you say that, that can be very destructive. This is about the behavior. And I think we have to just hammer that home so that it doesn't get confused. But can you sort of elaborate on the difference between shame and guilt? Well, let's think of guilt more as instilling conscience. What did you do wrong? How did you feel? How would your other friend feel? Shame is absolutely reducing the child himself. It's usually said in a very undignified voice, in a disrespectful voice where the child, can you just imagine, or anytime you Mm -hmm. thought about how your parent disciplined you or somebody in front of someone, you were just so ashamed that you were just crumbling inside. Mm -hmm. It's never empathetic. It's never about helping the child. And so as a result, what happens, you demolish the child himself and who he is and what he stands up on, where guilt can actually be a little bit more helpful. Because in the end, what you really want is the child to know what did he do wrong? So what do you want him to do next time in order to repair it or make it right? That's what discipline is, is acting right without you. 
And it takes a lot of our little moments to be able to quietly and dignifying saying, that was wrong. How would you feel if that happened to you? So let's, when you're two or three or four, let's redo it. Let's mm-hmm. make our feet go and redo it by making, we can role play it. Or mm-hmm. you be mommy, you be, you be boy, you be the friend. How would you do it differently next time? If you keep saying it in bed to your teen, it's exactly the same thing. What happens is he begins to understand what are your rules? What are your standards? What are the things and the values that matter most in this home? So what are we going to do differently next time? In fact, a great question A great question at the end of this is go home and ask your kid, what do we stand for? What's the most important thing in this house? And if your kid can instantly say, in my house, you better have said, you want me to be kind, mom. And if they don't instantly say, you want me to be kind, mom, it just means I'm not reinforcing it enough. Right. Family values, the the phrase family values has totally gotten slammed and overtaken. Um, But but the essence of the idea that each family is going to have a different set of values that are important to them. And in this case, like I, I happen to feel the same way. Empathy and kindness are very important. And I would be, you know, if I asked my kids, what's our family motto, if that didn't come into play, I would feel like, wow, I have to look at what, what's happening here. Cause that's not on them. Yeah. Um, no, it's on us. And that's we on have us. to reinforce it. In fact, I love what you just said. Family motto. Because as I was writing Unselfie, my favorite part of it was interviewing kids. And I'd interview a kid based on a teacher or a counselor's recommendation. Go interview that kid and find out how they became so kind and courageous (laughs) and moral. Go find out. Well, there was one child, I'll never forget her. Her name was Marilyn. I finally said, Marilyn, I got to talk to you. Every teacher, she'd already graduated from high school, but every teacher keeps talking about how incredibly kind and moral you are. And I asked her point blank, How'd you become that way? And within seconds, she slapped and said, oh, it was how I was raised. In which case I said, oh, please do tell. How were you raised? (laughs) Exactly what we've been talking about the same time. She said, I'll never forget when I was six. My mom and dad called me into the family room. There was chart paper all over the floor and a whole bunch of marking pens. And my my mom and dad said, sit down. We're going to talk about what kind of family we want to be. And we want to talk about what we want to be remembered for. Oh. Another fabulous question. Yes. So she said, I, I just sat down and my dad asked me the question. He says, there aren't any right or wrong answers. Let's just write down the words. Well, my mom, she said, was writing down kind and caring and respectful and responsible. And pretty soon the chart paper was all filled out. And then my dad said, we can't be them all. So what can we vote on as a family? That's the single mm. most important term. And that's how we became, her last name was Perlin the caring pearlins. I love that. I said, so how did you remember it? Now here's the part that's wonderful. She said, it was impossible not to. My mother must have said it 50 times a day. Remember where the caring pearlins, she dropped us off at school. Remember where the caring pearlins, they said it so much we became it. Conscience 101, exactly. They said it so much we became it. Your family's adapted to a lot of change this year, and there's so much to do. There's also a lot of pressure to plan activities for your kids and keep them busy and also not have them be totally curated by you because they have to be able to play independently and the list goes on. Here's the thing. Sometimes you just want something that is there for you. You know the kids are going to enjoy it and they'll use their brains and come up with really cool stuff. So that's why KiwiCo is pretty awesome. 
we were so excited to open a box and I have older kids. So there's stuff for everybody for 10 and 13 year olds, even really cool art projects and building projects. And what I like is that the materials are there, the ideas are there, but you can actually kind of come up with how you want to use it yourself. And it's kind of nice just to not have to think about what's happening and just open up a box and be inspired. So the cool thing is that you can get hands-on science, art, geography, any kind of project, just go onto the website and you can have the type of project your kids are interested in or you're interested in delivered to your door every month, especially right now when there's not a lot of places to go. It might be fun to just know that once a month you're opening a box and an activity is just going to surprise them. Everything you need is inside each colorful crate. And let's face it, it's just hard to find new creative ways to keep everybody busy and stretch their brain. And I'm a huge proponent of free open-ended play, but I also think it's really important to be able to follow directions and follow things in order and work on that part of your brain too. So you can use these in different ways, depending on kind of the mood. And also you could just not think for a few minutes. It's just really a nice gift to parents, to be honest. And since there are different crates for kids of all ages, there's something for every kid on your list. And there's no commitments. You can pause or cancel at any time. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash humans. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash humans. I wanted to add something to Hoffman's research, which you can't really do because that's not than his research, but I still, in, an, in my dream world, everything about inductive discipline would exist exactly as is with just an addition of some kind of empathetic sentence towards your child who's done the wrongdoing. Like to introduce them to even that, that we can understand where they might've had that instinct and then moving it towards all of that inductive discipline so that they can right that wrong. But still, I think alleviating some of that shame by saying, of course you wanted to hit your brother. He just, I'm thinking of a new baby and a brother because you just had a grandbaby who's coming home in the next few minutes and we have to stop this interview. But to an older baby, to your two-year-old, let's say, you know, in that moment, and it probably won't happen, but let's say at some point he went and did something unkind to his new baby brother, that moment of like seeing what he's going through and then letting him know not acceptable, totally not okay. And also what can we do to right this wrong? But I wonder if Hoffman's research, like just skipped that over that just wasn't the point. I think Hoffman isn't getting the credit for this because I think he would agree with you in that he's a guru of gurus, one of the best in the right. best on empathy. And what he is also, I think, saying there's a footnote to this is the best toolkit of discipline is having the parent be empathetic for the child. 
which is right. Okay. So and then that we do that. Uh, and we, in fact, all of this on, on a selfie, it obviously, if we're on in that piece of empathetic, because there's no better set of tools to be able to help our kids to be able to figure out why is he doing that? Getting into his shoes, understanding right. how he's doing. And that why let's go before moral identity how wonderful it is to be able to talk feelings. Maybe it's nothing more yes. than you look really frustrated or you're having an angry day. Oh my gosh, your face looks so sad. If we do that, it opens up. The child begins to go, oh, she's seeing where I'm coming yes. from. He's hearing where I'm coming from as opposed to nailing them with our finger in their face. No, no, yes. no, no. We first want to calm them down. We calm them down. We let them know that we're understanding where they're coming from because we've got to calm them then we can correct them. Yes, 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 yes. And then understanding the needs of others is your next... Perspective taking, habit three. Because what we are... And there's a reason for it. We know that little, little, little ones... I mean, I've got a two-year-old grandson who's watching Daniel Tiger. His whole face looks sad. You know, I sad. I sad just like Daniel Tiger. I'm going, oh, yay. He's already at age two learning the core four words, happy, sad, angry, scared. Those mm -hmm. are the four that they learn. Then you just keep adding on and adding on and adding on. But then around the age of four comes this wonderful moment in a child's life when they begin to realize that that kid's brain is different than my brain. <laughs> He's not thinking it's the so same thought. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. Like, so yeah. let's talk, let's, can you explain theory of mind just a little yeah. bit so people understand that shift? Because then you really can have the perspective of another person, which is just wild. That's exactly what it is. When little ones are very, very egocentric and they're supposed to be, they're trying to make the world make sense of what the heck is the world and I'm part of it and everything is about them. But <laughs> stretching them slowly to begin to realize there's another kid, he's right there and he's got a different brain than you have is what theory of mind would be. Until finally, around the age of eight, when comes the next big gold stone. And by the way, these can be slightly different of ages. Yes, thank you for saying that. Yeah, please, let's not go, oh my gosh, he's eight and he's not doing this. But perspective taking is the cognitive ability of empathy. When you can begin to really understand where the other person's view is coming from. I swear that is what is being so low right now in, in our country. Oh, yes. And I think one of it is that we're so used to getting you know, quick news where it's just surface. We're yes. not digging deeper. And as a result, uh, even Yale studies are finding that kids coming into college are not deep as a thinker as they used to be. They're very concerned about what's fake and what's not. And then it's going to do a huge number to them. That cognitive side is so critical. And there's so many wonderful ways to do it. I think if you were to look at how do you help kids learn perspective taking, I'd add on habit number four. It's my mm -hmm. favorite in the whole world, so I'm going to add it. It's called moral imagination. It's incredible, we, please. Oh, please. Well, we now know that when we, big old grown-ups, get inside <laughs> of old Madison, Wisconsin MRIs, and they read us different passages of books, like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird versus, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey or Daniel Steele at a Beach Read. <laughs> Wow, isn't it shocking that Fifty Shades of Grey didn't do a thing to us? I know that may be distressing, but literary fiction, when you get into the shoes and understand where the character is coming from, it could be All the Light You Not See or Bel Canto mm. or mm -hmm. any of those that you read as a kid. Why is children right now their favorite book, Wonder? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. And teens are telling me the hate you give is just, they can't sleep when they read it because it's just, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. That's what you want. You want a child to go, I never thought of it that way. Now get into their shoes and understand where they're coming from. Film can do the same way. We know that, for instance, Dunkirk. Oh my gosh, that moment where there's the ships and that's home. Mm -hmm. I still get teary-eyed. But film can elevate you and elevate your empathy or diminish it. Yeah. No, in fact, some, you know, sometimes in the most well-meaning way, the because of the, I guess the direction of social media or whatever for for the kids who are kind of over eight, but still probably shouldn't be doing yeah. it. And into adolescence, like to use George Floyd as an example, like people sending videos around that are out where, where they're expressing outrage, but it's actually using another human being or community's trauma in a way that's voyeuristic. And in fact, it's not helping build empathy. It can, it can do the opposite and desensitize us, even if it's outrageous in the moment. And so it's much more important to really pay attention to what our kids are watching, but you're right. Even when it comes to nonfiction and to to movies or whatever you want. Uplifting, true, but uplifting. You want, you want a kid to be able to, exactly. Like that there's a point to this. Yes. What happens that I think is so timely for right this moment is we've got to keep them realizing that is our stress builds and we'll do, we have to dial our empathy down to take care of ourselves. And as the stress keeps building and the empathy's not there, social distancing, that's doing a number right now. We're all doing mm-hmm. nothing but looking at screens. What happens is the outcome is burnout. Now that's a slow buildup of apathy, but it's yeah. easy to turn that around if we're more intentional about what we read, what we watch, what we talk about. And and so, you know, it is really frightening if everybody's watching these things over and over if you keep the news on on a cycle and actually to take care of yourself your body shuts down and numbs you that's really scary so even if you think you're being an activist raising activist kids by showing them everything in fact you really want to think carefully and I like that you said you know the intentional stuff the things we're intentional about reading and watching because we don't want apathy. We don't want our bodies yeah. to shut down and our nervous system to be like, I can't take it anymore. So let's not inundate with so much doom and gloom that we lose hope because yeah. then what's the point of any what, of this? What's the point? And I think we're at a moment right now. I know it sounds like doom and gloom, but it's also a reset button. For us as a group of parents to go, maybe we need to rethink what our kids really, really need. And it isn't just a darn GPA and a test score. It's helping these kids to be able to thrive now as well as later. It's going to be a very uncertain world. Uh, I'm living in where fires are all around me. Mm -hmm. You may be living where hurricanes are all around you. Violence is another area. Whatever it is, something else is going to open up. And one of what we may want to do above all else is help our kids get through this, knowing first we can get through it. But second of all, give them some kind of a tool or a protective strategy that they can use the rest of their lives going, it may be prayer. It may be giving back to others. In fact, when we look at empathy, habit number nine is altruistic leadership. Mm-hmm. The fascinating thing on that one is that we now know clearly that mentally healthier people give, not get. 
So maybe what it is, is that every once in a while to say, okay, let's think about somebody who needs some help right now. Let's not think about us. Let's think about somebody. You're right. Mrs. Jones is next door. She's all by herself. And I bet she is lonely. What can we do? Great idea. Let's bake some cookies and leave them on her porch. Things like that makes such a difference to a child because when they see the joy in the other person, it radiates back from them. And now, caring mindset again. Wow. I made a difference. And that is why the research shows that when you, when you are altruistic, it actually serves your mental health. Like you end up Mm -hmm. being a more joyful person. So back to these habits, what are some other habits and what are some concrete ways to build them? That's like a huge question to ask. It's a huge question. I know you have the answer. Well, thank you. But it's been a life quest to be able to figure out if you can cultivate empathy. If our kids are hardwired for it, says the latest research, Mm -hmm. but it seems to be in dormant mode. In fact, it's dropped 40% in American teens in just the last 30 years. Then how do we rebuild it? And what we, we found is that we talked about emotional literacy. We talk emotions, moral identity. So we have that view perspective taking. That would be number three. We talked about Mm -hmm. stepping into the cognitive side of another. Mm -hmm. Number four, we mentioned with moral imagination, using books and films that elevate and help a child understand a different view. But five is the one we better work on and it's self-regulation. Yes. Unless a child knows how to cope, there goes their empathy. By the way, there goes their focusing ability and there goes their mental health. There goes everything. Right. Everything. And Self-regulation is teachable. But when I ask teens what works best, (laughs) once again, a teen, the first thing you guys are doing wrong, pointing to us, (laughs) is that you're making it like it's something you learn in a textbook and you Mm. don't. You've got to make it into a habit and you've got to give us a lot of different ideas. Like mindfulness works for some kids. Some is, doesn't for others. Yeah, Find what works for us and then, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. from the teen, then it's got to be sustained. <laughs> I went, what does that mean? He goes, well, you got to keep practicing it. You got to make it into a habit. Like have maybe a minute a day or five minutes a day. We keep practicing the same thing. The best ideas I've ever learned in my life. Um, you know, I've had a real honor to be able to work in countries all over the world, but being hired by the Pentagon to work on 18 army bases in South Korea and, and Germany the Europe was mind boggling. I I was hired to go over and train to help minimize post-traumatic stress. But it was during that time that my, oh my gosh, moment came when the commander said, you should go talk to the Navy SEALs, most elite forces in the world. I said, why? He said, because we are retraining them to get through the toughest stuff you can possibly imagine. And I think they can help you on some stuff to teach kids. Navy SEALs, I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, they're rewiring our training and it's rewiring our brain. Number one is we spend a lot of time figuring out what our stress signs are. We're the ones that are always saying, kids, calm down or go to timeout. What better off if you spend the next couple of weeks in your home, dignify, this is not shame and this is not discipline, just pointing out, wow, I noticed that every time you go to do that math or turn on that Zoom or whatever, Mm -hmm. you do this with your hands. You put them Mm -hmm. into a fist or maybe, oh, I see you start to grind your teeth or, oh, I see you start to, to you know, wind your hair. Every kid has their own unique stress signs and so do you. 
the most wonderful thing you can do as a family is just quietly and dignifying point them out. You look like you're a little stressed. And then point two, when I say to the Navy SEALs, by the way, they say we help each other. We spend a lot of time figuring out the stress signs. And then the moment we feel it coming, we better act on it. Otherwise, there's no way we're going to get through a battle. Our cognitive abilities don't stay strong. I said, what do you do? He said, the first thing we do is tell ourselves, calm down, chill out, or I got this. And they look at me and they go, I know it sounds soft and fluffy, but believe me, it really works. You tell yourself, chill out or relax or one phrase. Then you teach kids to take deep, slow breaths. But they said the key is it's the fastest way to relax if you teach it the right way. We do a slow, deep breath from deep in our stomach. We ride it up. Tell a kid it's like going up an escalator. So you ride it all the way up until it comes way to the top of your head. Then you hold it. Ideally, you think of the breath, but that takes a while to keep focusing in on it. Then you slowly let it out. But your exhale is twice as long as your inhale. If you do that every single time and you practice, practice, practice as a family, you practice on the floor, you practice anywhere in any shape, what will happen is goldmine. Your child will be able to do that without you and you will give him a gift. The rest of his life, he'll have a coping skill. Yes. Uh, And if they do that breath before making any of the decisions that they, you know, you wish you could be there for them to make. Please do. So, okay. And also what, what's wonderful about that is just making sure to not get stuck in because naming of emotions is so important and the conversations are always so important, but also naming the physiological responses. Like I noticed that you're clenching your fists or twirling your hair, all the examples you gave, because we also want to use language that helps them pay attention to what, you know, how their bodies are responding to things. But basically it's all variations on the same theme, it's just practice every day so that it becomes something that you do on automatically instead of with great intention and effort, which is impossible for you. you I think that is one of the, if we were to say parenting mistakes 101, I think the biggest mistake we don't do nearly enough is practice the same thing enough until it becomes a habit. Or I've heard too many times for a parent go, but I tried that yesterday. I tried it yesterday. Keep doing it over and over again. And ideally, it's cool if you do it as a family. I mean, I was in Redondo Beach. Oh my gosh. Jennifer Bell was the teacher. Six-year-olds. I walked in and Jennifer Bell every single day, she's a brilliant teacher in every content there is, but wow, does she teach stress management well. She said, these kids have got to learn how to handle stress. I said, how do you do it? She says, watch. I sit down within five minutes, she turns and she says, here's Dr. Borba. Dr. Borba, ask the kids what their stress signs are. I turn and every kid could go, I go like this to my hands. My feet start to go like this. Oh, I can feel it in my chest. Every kid knew their stress signs. Then Jennifer Bell says, so tell Dr. Borba, what do you do when you feel it? And every kid, oh my gosh, they were so precious. They go, well, you just breathe, Miss Bell. You just breathe. Well, show her. Every child lies down flat on the floor. This is wonderful for a six-year-old. They grab bean bags like froggies mm-hmm. and turtles. They're lying flat on the floor and they put it on their tummy. She did that because she said when they tried to do the deep breathing, they did it too fast and they hyperventilated. So mm-hmm. the froggy or the turtle is to go slow ride. Don't scare the turtle. You're doing it too fast. Slow. Now go real slow. 
three minutes later, half the class was asleep. Yeah. Uh, and worked. now that's ingrained. Yeah. They're practicing every day. They're going to grow up to be people who find their stress signs, take those moments, get self-regulated so that they have the ability to be empathetic. Exactly. And that's exactly what we need to do. And we're talking about the most elite forces in the world, Navy SEALs doing that daily so they can get through the toughest stuff you can possibly imagine. And they're the ones who said, why don't you teach that to kids? <sighs> so simple. Yeah. It doesn't cost a dime. And science it doesn't is. cost a dime. And takes, yeah. um, let's call it one to three minutes a day. Yeah. And if you put that into your routine, or put it onto your alarm. Or here's another better idea. Tell your most verbal child to be your reminder. Mom, we're supposed to be doing that deep breathing. It's just like <laughs> the gold mine. I mean, the other thing that you may want to do perfect for this moment is to also create a calm down corner, not a timeout corner, a calm down corner and have your kids make it for you. Let's put things that help you calm down. So when you feel your stress start to get up, like it could be your beanbags, chairs, or it could be a pillow, or it could be teens saying music, loading their phone with different kind of music, a, a teen, <laughs> Natalie, precious. I said, what kind of music do you put on your phone? She says, well, Mozart is great. The problem with our music, it's got too many beats. You guys have better ideas on music because your age has less beats in the music. <laughs> but, well, thank you very much. You know, my 13-year-old my told me about something called binaural beats. Ah. And, um, and I guess it has like binaural beats calm, binaural beats like it, it and the, the music helps her when she wants to, you know, like she picks the mood she wants based on the music, but that self-regulation and empathy, we don't see them going hand in hand, but all of these do, you know, the next one would be practicing kindness. We've been talking a lot about it. If you practice kindness, a lot of times, it seems like it's kind of, again, soft and fluffy, but after a while, if you keep doing it and you exercise it, it can be the trajectory that helps the child get into empathy because then they begin to see the impact of their gesture of, oh, I made that other person feel better. Mm -hmm. They want to start doing it. And that's why the research says do the practice in kindness, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to raise the empathetic child. It'll get to be the gateway to get there, which is your next step. Mm. Then comes collaboration. And I think that's the key that most kids are telling me when I say what's going on or why do you think that your generation's empathy is going down? They said, because you're pitting us against each other. Everything is so competitive. Everything is about what did she get versus what did she get? Even before COVID, they listed all of our grades online. My mom second period would know what my grade was. I couldn't think the rest of the day because she'd start texting me. Why did you get that grade? Ugh. It's horrible. Many of the kids said they feel like they're being raised. Oh, this is so horrible. They feel like they're being raised more like a product than a human being. Mm. It's all about the test. So, well, that's, you know, I think hopefully we've gotten one, one silver lining, which is just a whole reevaluation. Yeah. of how we're doing things. And, yeah. you know, that will hopefully spill over when this is all over. They already have that moral compass. What they want to have now is how do you get to the real empathy and the altruistic leadership 
They got to get into moral courage to be able to realize they need to speak up. They need to be bold. And if they see somebody who's been treated unjustly, unkindly, or is bullying another, and I don't care what their position is in the world, they need to be held accountable or at least be able to say that's not right. That's what you want. So, so it sounds like sitting back and watching them react versus telling them how to react. Yeah. The first thing I think we do wrong is that we may be missing this golden opportunity to step into our kids' shoes and figure out how are they making sense of this? How How are they they making sense of this? Well, it's hard to make sense out of it, but it's neat to be able to at least see your kid's reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, we're the ones that react too quickly. Just shut, just kind of bite your tongue for just a minute, watch your kids, and then let the conversations flow. So can you walk me through from young children to adolescents, how sure. to raise a moral, I mean, in five seconds or less? No. In five in, seconds in, or less. Um, how do you no. raise a morally courageous child? Number one, all of the research is telling us that the first step is regardless of introvert or extrovert, the biggest mistake we do starting at a very young age is, well, here's what he means. Or she's so shy, she doesn't want to talk. Stop. Stop. Instead, give them space. Also make them feel safe. Walk back a little more and let them know you can talk. No, no, mommy doesn't talk for you. What's your idea? And it may start with just yes or no. The second glorious thing that I discovered, because what I started writing on selfie was to stop bullying. I realized that it was an empathetic kid is the best untapped secret in a school, those kids, mobilize them. So what I did is I started looking at footage, hours and hours of footage of kids on playgrounds who were most likely to be picked on and bullied. And what I discovered when we rewound it, it had nothing to do with what the kids said or wore. It was how the child stood or how he appeared. Mm. If you look vulnerable, you're more likely to be picked on, not just now, but the rest of your life. So how do you flip that around? One simple thing. Make one rule in your house starting at age two. Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. Start with your appearance. Why? Because if you look at the eyes, not down, you actually are holding your head up. And what you want is a kid to have strong body language because he's more likely to be taken seriously. Later on, you can help him learn what to say. But the first thing is just hold your head up. If you tell a kid, I always use strong body language, they get turned off. But if you say, always look at the color of the talker's eyes, they hold their head up. Shy kids, just look at the bridge right here between the person's nose Mm. or look at the spot right here. And then you teach teach them calm, C-A-L-M. I don't care if it's about talking about the debate or who you want for president or racism, whatever, calm. Number one is you'll never be taken seriously if you start yelling and screaming. Stay cool, stay calm. If you need to take that deep breath, do it. A is learn to assert by teaching your kids starting at age two, maybe it's no, or I don't want to, or what do you think? Strong, assertive lines. But the two other things are the most important points. C is stay cool. A is learn to assert. L is look the person in the eye. L and M is make your voice sound like you mean it. Listen Mm. to my voice. Stop it. Stop it. Which one do you think your friends will take as seriously? You put all those together and you've got a bolder kid, especially if you've got a kid with moral identity, that would be chapter two, 
Chapter one is, you know, by looking at the person, how he's feeling about it, you can read him. You can see if he's feeling okay or he's upset. You put it all together and you slowly start teaching kids assertive language skills, family meetings. And I think what we'll have is the kind of kid we're always hoping for. A child who is knows himself, knows what he stands for, but also has the skills of boldness to be able to speak out, defend others, and do the right thing. That is what this country needs. And I think it's all up to us. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week. And please vote.